This is a Triple J podcast. Did you get takeaway this week? Did you go and get it yourself or did someone bring it to you? Because so many of us are reliant on using apps and services that are part of the gig economy. Think Uber, Menulog, Airtasker, Milk Run. But here on Hack, we've been hearing that pay and conditions for the workers can be pretty poor. Well, now the federal government is going to shake things up with a bunch of new laws. Hey, Tim Shepard with you for Hack. What will this mean for the workers and the customers? How much will it cost? Will we pay to clean up the industry? And we all know that it's pretty grim pain for fuel these days. But some people are worried it could cause a great Australian icon, the Manie, to disappear. Before we get to that, we're going to jump back into another story that we've been hearing a bit about recently. Hack. The ACCC says Qantas customers were left out of pocket as it launches federal court action. You have to ask why in the national interest was extra flights from Qatar knocked back. On Triple J. Tell you what, it feels like we've been late waking up a lot recently to more news about Qantas coming under fire. But today, the airline's facing some pretty serious allegations. The consumer watchdog has announced it's taking Qantas to court over cancelled flights. This also comes as the federal government is accused of protecting Qantas by blocking another airline from being able to compete with them and bring down ticket prices. Well, to get us up to speed on what's been going on, here's Angel Parsons. So let's say you've got some travel coming up. Maybe it's your sister's wedding, a medical appointment, or that holiday you've been dreaming about for years. You've saved up, planned out your flights and bought your tickets. But the flights you just bought actually don't exist. They've already been cancelled. Well, the competition watchdog, Australia's Competition and Consumer Commission, has accused Qantas of selling tickets to flights that have already been scrapped. In all cases, it left consumers with less time to make alternative arrangements. Gina Cass-Gottlieb is the head of the ACCC, which has launched action in the federal court, alleging Qantas engaged in false, misleading or deceptive conduct. The ACCC alleges that for more than 8,000 flights scheduled to depart between between May and July 2022, Qantas kept selling tickets on the website for an average of more than two weeks, in some cases up to 47 days after the flights had been cancelled. The Commission also alleges that existing ticket holders weren't told about the cancellation for an average of 18 days. Qantas says it takes the allegations seriously. We have a long-standing approach to managing cancellations for flights with a focus on providing customers with rebooking options or refunds. The period examined by the ACCC between May and July 2022 was a time of unprecedented upheaval for the entire airline industry. We will examine the details of the ACCC's allegations and respond to them in full in court. And recently a class action was announced over their flight credits. Well, today Qantas said it will remove the expiry dates on those credits or in some cases offer a cash refund. But there's something else that's also got people really riled up. A really bad decision by any standards. This is former ACCC boss Alan Fells questioning why the government has blocked another airline, Qatar, from starting new flights to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. This is going to put up prices or keep them up a lot. The reasons for the government's decision weren't super clear until this week, 
when Assistant Treasurer Stephen Jones was quoted saying the decision was in the national interest and would help keep Qantas profitable. Comments he's now said were misconstrued. The Australian government wants to ensure that our airline industry is viable and competitive. But the decision's got a whole heap of people angry and scratching their heads, including Flight Centre. There's no logic to it. And Virgin, which partners with Qatar. There's no understandable reason why they were denied. And aviation experts. The viability of the airline is an important thing, but it has to run as a business. Qantas CEO Alan Joyce was asked about it during a grilling by senators this week as part of a cost of living committee. He said tickets will get cheaper as more flights are put on. Fares have peaked in December of last year and they have been trending down since as more capacity is returned by all airlines. Hack on Triple J. Angel Parsons giving us that rundown on what's been happening with Qantas because there has been a lot over the last couple of weeks. What do you think about it all? Text in. The number is, of course, 0439 757555. Well, I want to talk more about this because, as I said, there's a lot to unpack and here to help us understand it all, I've called in the big guns, actually. David Spears is the ABC's political lead. David, it's your first time on Hack. Welcome to the show. It's very exciting, Tim. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're more than welcome. Look, as we've heard, Qantas not having a great time at the moment. We've just heard how the ACCC is taking legal action against them over these cancelled flights. The airline also today has said that they're now changing their controversial COVID travel credit scheme after the boss, Alan Joyce, copped a bit of a grilling in the Senate. How much pressure is on Qantas right now? There's a lot going on when it comes to Qantas, right? Um, it is under enormous pressure. Um, Alan Joyce is, well, he's, he's due to step down, in fact, as the CEO in November. So he hasn't got long to worry about all of this. Um, but the, the incoming CEO, Vanessa Hudson, sure does, along with the rest of them. Um, this this prob- All of these problems have become far, far worse today with what you just heard there, this, this announcement, this declaration from the competition watchdog that they're taking Qantas to court for allegedly selling tickets to flights that it had already cancelled. And we're not talking just about a few flights or even a few hundred flights. We're talking about 8,000 flights that Qantas had allegedly already cancelled and then were still selling tickets to those flights uh, on average two weeks after the cancellation, but in some cases 47 days after the cancellation, still selling tickets to those cancelled flights. So you, wow. you can understand it's frustrating enough when your flight's cancelled, infuriating if you sold a ticket to a, a flight that's already cancelled. Yeah, definitely. Um, I also want to ask about this decision from the federal government to not allow Qatar Airways to run more flights to and from Australia, because I want to know, what do we know about how much input Qantas had in that decision? Look, we know Qantas lobbied hard for this very outcome. It did not want the extra competition from Qatar Airways. Qatar wanted to add 21 extra flights in and out of Australia on top of the 28 that it already operates from Sydney, Brisbane and Melbourne. And we're talking about the Europe route, right, which which Qantas dominates uh, to and from Australia. This competition would have, um, yes, put pressure on Qantas. And what it said in its submission over this decision was that it would distort the market. It got its way 
uh, tourism groups, they reckon this has cost hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in lost tourism revenue that those those Qatar flights would have added. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, some people are already texting in now, kind of wanting to know why someone has said, could this be because the government bailed Qantas out during COVID? So now the government wants the debt paid back faster by not having competition. Do we actually, you know, know why the government might be supporting Qantas when it actually means people may end up paying more? Well, it's a, it's a really good question. The government's official answer to all of this is, is that it's in the national interest, right? It made this decision to block Qatar's extra flights in the national interest. What does that mean? It's been pretty cagey uh, about all of this, and the questions just keep on coming. Um, we've heard, you know, sort of a, a, a bit of this, a bit of that, one, one argument being that it's to ensure that Australia still has a viable uh, carrier. And look, that, that is important. We need, a, we need a company like Qantas that can help get Australians out of trouble spots um, you know, when things are really bad, like during COVID, Qantas helped with some emergency flights to bring Aussies home from Wuhan and India and so on. But it does get compensated for doing that. And when Qantas is posting record profits like we saw last week, it is pretty hard to argue that they, they shouldn't be facing a bit of extra competition. Look, Qantas has long been highly successful at lobbying governments of both political persuasions. One of the ways it does this too, and I'm not saying this is why we've seen this decision to block competition from Qatar, but one of the things it does when it comes to federal politicians, it gives them access to what's called the Chairman's Lounge. People might have heard of the Qantas, Qantas Lounge, the Qantas Club. This is several tiers above this. We're talking about silver service, the private entrance, and it's wow. really laid on thick. And pollies are all offered this Chairman's Lounge. Uh, I'm not, again, I'm not suggesting this is why they've made this call on Qatar, but I'm just saying it's an example of the way Qantas goes about lobbying and building its influence amongst politicians. Right, OK, so there's a bit to unpack there. But I want to know how this looks for the federal government too, to be seen preventing Aussies from potentially getting cheaper flights during, you know, a cost of living crisis when everyone's doing it tough. Yeah, look, it doesn't look good at all, does it? I mean, and you can see how the government has struggled to explain this decision, um, you know, relying, as I say, on this vague national interest explanation. And look, the opposition's going to be going after this when Parliament's back next week. It's it's making that very clear. It's going to be raising all sorts of questions, demanding documents on, on how this decision was made to block uh, Qatar. Um, so look, no doubt the government will be you know, practising its answers, trying to come up with some better answers, because this um, this storm has a long way to run. Yeah, I can imagine. Do you think there's any chance of the government reversing that decision around Qatar Airways? I'd say it's unlikely. Um, but look, not impossible. Sometimes a hasty backflip is less painful than digging in and trying to defend. But I think the first instinct of any government is not to give your opponents a victory. So they'll be planning at this stage to tough it out, defend the decision on Qatar, try and come up with a better explanation of what they've done, um, even though standing by Qantas has t- today become a far more awkward exercise. All right, David Spears, thank you so much for coming on the show and making your hack debut. Hang on the line. We'll we'll sort you out with a Triple J prize pack. (laughs) (laughs) That was ABC's political lead, David Spears, and got some text coming through already. Someone says the saddest part of this story about Qantas is the lack of surprise that we feel. Okay, let's move on now. Hack. While we all love the technology, it's got to be possible to have 21st century technology without having 19th century working conditions. On Triple Jack. Would you be willing to pay more to get your takeaway food and groceries delivered? What if it meant the person bringing it to you is more likely to get home safe and earn a livable wage? 
Well, the federal government's revealed new laws that it says will improve the gig economy. That's people who are working for places like Menulog and Deliveroo, as well as rideshare companies like Uber. The changes include creating a whole new type of worker who would be given more rights and protections and a minimum rate of pay. What do you think about this? Let me know on the text line. That number is, of course, 0439757555 because not everyone's on board. Some business groups reckon it'll change what actually made the gig economy take off in the first place. We're going to chat to an expert in just a minute, but here's Miles Holbrook Walk with some details. Every gig worker right now is just one car breakdown away from getting broke. Meet Nabin Adhikari. He's been working as a delivery driver for pretty much every product you can imagine. Basically, with the gig work, I've been doing deliveries, food, groceries, alcohol, flour, uh, medicine, whatever you can get in a same-day delivery from any of the merchants, you know, anything. Nabin's been doing this work for five years. He started not long after he arrived here from Nepal. Part of the reason he came over was to have a better pay, but also better working rights. But when I saw the gig industry, which has been totally unregulated, which was surprising for me in the first place, <laughs> there's a physical safety, mental safety, job safety, and financial safety. All those four factors lacks in the gig industry at this moment. Life for a gig worker in Australia can be incredibly stressful. At the moment, there's very little regulation and laws in and around the industry. There's no minimum wage, there's no insurance, leave entitlements or superannuation. But today, the federal government has announced it plans to change that. Workplace Relations Minister Tony Burke reckons there weren't any minimum standards for workers because there's no clear way to define them. So the government is changing legislation to better protect gig workers. He argues there needs to be a change, not only to make the work fairer, but also safer for delivery drivers after 13 riders have died on the job. For the gig worker who we've all seen, who is currently out there running red lights, going up onto the footpath, down onto the road, on the road creating an extra lane between the parked cars and the traffic, knowing that at any moment, if a car door opens, instead of riding between the lanes, they'll be lying beneath the traffic they'll have some minimum standards. Now, these changes will allow the Fair Work Commission to provide a definition of what is an employee-like worker, and that'll cover gig workers. Once Fair Work has a definition, they'll be entitled to some of the things mentioned earlier, like a minimum rate of pay. One of the changes addresses this phenomena called deactivation. It's basically where you're picking up work through one of these tech companies' apps, and are booted off. Now the government is going to allow people deactivated to dispute those dismissals. And Tony Burke argues if the changes cost consumers more, frankly, they should accept it. Underpaying people is cheaper. Yeah, it is. Slavery is probably cheaper too. We are talking about some of the lowest paid people in Australia. And if that means there's a tiny bit extra that you pay when your pizza arrives to your door and they're more likely to be safe on the roads getting there, then I reckon that's a pretty small price to pay. These changes won't apply to every bit of work you can get online. Odd jobs you might pick up on Facebook Marketplace or Airtasker won't be covered. 
One of the biggest business lobby groups in Australia, the Chamber of Commerce, has come out swinging against these changes. Business remains very, very concerned. What we've seen, the government has not made the case for the changes that it's going to propose uh, to introduce uh, next week. Andrew McKellar is the Chamber's CEO. Not only does he think it's bad policy that needs more consultation, he also reckons if these changes come in, it's going to have a negative impact on people who get gig work. So if you are you know, out there at the moment uh, in casual employment or labour hire or you're an independent contractor or you're on a gig platform, this is going to make it harder for you to um, sustain your job. Hack on Triple J. Thank you to Miles Holbrook-Walk for that report there. Already some texts coming in. Someone says, have never used Uber Eats as a single person paying a mortgage. It's something I can't afford. So some people saying it's already too expensive for them. Well, I want to get more into some details about the proposed changes a little bit. Dr. Caleb Goods is a senior lecturer at the Uni of WA. He's an expert on all things gig economy and he's with me now. Caleb, thank you so much for coming on Hack. Thanks for having me on the program, Tim. Look, what's the government trying to fix with this legislation? Yeah, I mean, the gig economy has been around in Australia since 2013-ish. Um, so it's been around for a decade. And um, traditionally, how gig workers are classified, independent contracting, which, you know, tr- used to be plumbers, consultants, sort of people who could demand a reasonable hourly rate and, and bring their tools and skills with them, has been how these workers have been classified. And uh, unlike those sort of skilled workers, um, gig workers basically have little ability to negotiate their wages and conditions um, and they're set by the platforms and those rates are kind of, you know, very low. So usually below the national minimum wage. And so they're trying to create some minimum standards around this new form of working. And how are they planning on actually doing that? Yeah, it's interesting what they're they're doing. So there's sort of a threshold um, that they're doing. So basically you have to work on a digital platform, so Menulog, Uber, Uber Eats, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have to be what they call an employee-like gig worker. And that has three bits to it. So you have to have low levels of control. You have to be paid low wages. And you also have to have low bargaining power, which basically means you can't, you know, set your own terms and conditions. Basically, the platform says, this is how much you get paid. This is what the work looks like and take it or leave it. I wanted to ask something about something that we just heard about in the package called deactivation. What's Mm -hmm. that? And is that a big problem? Yeah. So this is one of the key things they're looking for the Fair Work Commission to regulate on. So, you know, workers' uh, performance um, is is sort of uh, arranged in different ways and, and different factors go into it. So, you know, how quickly you deliver the food, how fast you respond to the job request on your app to do the job, et cetera, et cetera. And if you don't meet those performance criteria, the, the automatic kind of algorithm can deactivate you, basically fire you. Um, and workers often sometimes feel confused about that and they have no right of kind of disputing that deactivation. And so basically what the government's looking for is some mechanism to for workers at a low cost to dispute that deactivation and ensure it, you know, they're being treated with some form of natural justice, I guess. This is Hack on Triple J. You're hearing from Dr. Caleb Goods from the Uni of WA and we're talking about plans to bring in new laws around the gig economy, which would cover things like rideshare and food delivery workers. Caleb, I remember when a lot of these apps started, the idea was that someone had a chance to earn some money on the side. So they might have had a full-time job during the day and then they were driving cars at night for some extra cash and they enjoyed the flexibility. But over time, 
I think from what I've seen, it's changed. And now there's a lot of these people who their only source of income is jobs in the gig economy. Yeah, there's there's no doubt that um, there's a large number of people doing this work and a large number of people who rely on it as a primary source of income. Um, and, you know, as customer demand has increased and the, the industry is diversified, so it's not just in rideshare and food delivery, care sector, NDIS is becoming a bigger part of what we call the gig economy. Mm. Uh, and these are jobs we probably would more traditionally see as employment. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's becoming a, a more common feature within our world of work. We were just hearing before from the Employment Minister as well that in order to sort of set minimum pay for workers and improve the conditions, we're going to have to pay a bit more. Um, That'll probably come down to the Fair Work Commission, I imagine, in terms of what they end up setting. But do you think that if uh, we do have to pay more and those proposed changes do come in from the government, that it could change the gig economy so much that it will no longer be profitable or viable? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I don't think so. So we actually did uh, some surveys of Australian consumers over the last few years kind of asking these sorts of questions. And what we found is that those who use these services would be willing to pay a little bit more, Um, not much more, it has to be said, maybe a dollar a delivery. But, um, you know, a dollar delivery, if you're doing three more, um, you know, that's an extra three bucks, if there's some other mechanisms to support wages. So I don't think it's going to be a huge ask on consumers. But yeah, as you say, that will come down to what the Fair Work Commission uh, decides. Um, And, you know, I guess work needs to provide you with some uh, living, some standard of living. And at the moment, I just think that balance isn't quite um, there. And so as consumers, yes, we might have to pay a little bit more for our for our food delivery and so forth. Yeah, a few people agreeing uh, with the idea of having to pay more to uh, improve the standards. Maddie from Canberra says, it's about time the laws and the pay change for drivers. I can't tell you how many late night Uber conversations I've had where the drivers explain exactly how much Uber actually pays their workers. It's robbery. Someone else says if it pays more riders, if, it, if, the, if the pay increases and more riders don't plough through pedestrian crossings without stopping, then I'm happy. Uh, we are running out of time, Caleb, but just quickly, is there any idea if this passes, you know, how long we could, how long it could take until we see that change come into effect? Yeah, I, I don't think it'll be fast. Um, the Fair Work Commission isn't known for speed. So, yeah, these laws have to pass Parliament and then obviously cases need to be brought to the Fair Work Commission for this minimum standards to be brought in for particular uh, parts of the gig economy. So I'd say over the next uh, 12 months, we'll start to see those standards emerge. All right, Caleb Goods, thank you so much for taking the time to come on to Hack. Thanks for having me. That was Dr. Caleb Goods from the UWA Business School and still got some texts coming in about this one. Someone says, the few times I have used food delivery like menu log, my food has arrived cold. I'd rather go pick it up myself, get hot food and save $10 or so on delivery. Yeah, pretty interesting point there. All right, it's um, time to change gears, perhaps literally. Hack! Wasting fuel, driving around, having a laugh with mates, just a fun thing we do to keep out of trouble. We still get in trouble here and there. On Triple Jack. All right, you don't need me to tell you that fuel prices suck at the moment. It means a lot of us are having to make changes. We're trying to work from home more, maybe not going to uni as much. Maybe you've had to stop doing as many camping trips or beach trips on the weekends. Let me know how it's impacted you. Text in on 0439 757 But hey, one thing it could change is a rite of passage that a lot of us, especially the ones from regional cities and towns, grew up with. I'm talking about the Maney, also known as a lappy 
or a blocky route, apparently, depending on which part of the country you're from. If you're wondering what the hell I'm talking about, then I'm truly sorry you've missed out on this experience. But our Tassie reporter, April McLennan, is going to fill you in and explain why this cultural phenomenon is apparently under threat. It was in 1964 when the streets in Launceston CBD in northern Tassie were switched to a one-way system and the blocky route was born. What is the blocky route, you may ask? Well, let me take you along for a ride with Callum Hopkins. How did you first get into doing the blocky route? Well, it was one Friday night, I think, and me and my mate decided to come into town for a Macca's run, but... We said, nah, we'll see what the blocky route's like. We did it a few times and just fell in love with it, and I keep doing it Friday, Saturday nights if I can afford it. If you haven't figured it out yet, blockies are when you drive around a certain route at night, over and over and over again. Now, this cultural phenomenon isn't unique to Lonnie. Blockies are happening in towns right around Australia. You might just know them as lappies or manies. Street racing isn't just about driving, it's about heaps of stuff. You don't learn that at TAFE! No, it's about like, traffic lights, car parks, parking bay 74. It's where I was conceived, and most importantly, the ladies. But could the end of the blocky route be near? It's just basically fuel prices at the moment, but you got to work out what you want to do. Maybe you stay out for an hour, maybe the whole night. just depends if you can afford it. How much money would you spend on fuel doing the blocky route, do you think? Oh, if I do it Friday and Saturday night, I fill up, which is about $120 worth of 98. And if I consistently drive around, rev my car, as a boy does, I usually use half a tank depending on what I do. Even if you're not doing the blocky route and just use your car to go to and from work and down to the shops, the cost of fuel is through the roof and unfortunately things aren't getting any cheaper. What do you think about fuel prices at the moment? Uh, pretty pretty darn expensive, yeah. Uh, we definitely don't go visit my grandparents as much anymore because that's an hour away so it ends up it's only like 10 bucks more but it adds up. So I think these are incredibly high. I prefer to use public transport because before that, I every time used my car, but now I try to use public transport. So there's a big change in my life, yeah. According to the Australian Institute of Petroleum's weekly report, the average retail price for petrol across the country hit 205 cents a litre at the beginning of this week. The average weekly petrol price in capital cities is about 206 cents a litre, but you could be paying up to 238 cents, depending on where you live. As a general rule, regional Australians unfortunately get exposed to higher prices. They are particularly hit by increased diesel prices. Obviously, the bush runs on diesel, the Australian economy runs on diesel. So every time diesel goes up, they feel it in the bush. Manufacturing, farming, agriculture, Australia's transport sector, it's all driven by diesel. And so Australians and the Australian economy is impacted particularly every time we see diesel jump and diesel's jumped again. That's Peter Curry from the NRMA. He says prices are at a 13-month high. And that's because of several factors like the weakening Aussie dollar, the war in Ukraine and tightening global oil markets. Peter says all this is driving up the price. 
you know, young people trying to get to uni on a limited budget, feel it, and the impact right across society is unfortunately profound. It means that people end up having to cut other aspects of their lives to be able to afford the increase in petrol. So people go out less, they eat out less, and that has an impact on small businesses. But what does all this mean for our beloved Lappies? I had to explain the blocky route to Peter before our interview, and it's safe to say that he isn't a fan. If that is one of the positive side effects of these horrendous high prices, if it means that, you know, kids aren't doing laps and instead of doing something else, you know, adding to the congestion that we've already caught across Australia, well, you know, silver linings, they do exist even amongst these record high petrol prices. So if anyone's doing laps of their local street at the same time that they're paying $2.10 a litre, I'm not sure the NRMA can help you. While the blocky route has caused the occasional problem with hooning, it's also a positive social outlet for young people. Here in Lonnie, there's married couples that have met on the blocky route and there's children alive today because of the blocky route. So despite the high fuel price, Callum reckons it's worth it to keep the blocky route alive. You just make friends driving along, stopping at lights, talking to people, asking about their car. And I've met some amazing mates, started friendships, and it's just grown to one big family. Hack on Triple J. April McLennan with that story out of Launceston in Tasmania. Thank you so much for that one, April. A lot of love coming in for Manies. Someone says, I'm from Griffith, New South Wales, where we literally have a biggest lap event that attracts rev heads from all over. Laps for Life 2680. Someone else is offering some alternatives. They say, EV baby, drive right past the fuel stops. And someone's saying, public transport. I've been catching the bus for just over a year. I love it. Cheaper, less stressful, no petrol cost. What's not to love? Well, I don't know how social it is, but uh, thank you for everyone who's been texting in. We're getting still a lot of texts from the other stories as well. We've got one on the gig economy and the new legislation that's been proposed. Someone says, I'm working in live events. After COVID, employers are looking to reduce overhead pay so there's more contract work. They say that these new laws have had a knock-on effect positively because now I have more rights as a worker. This is definitely a good move. And then one come through in, coming through from Qantas as well. They say, I'm an apprentice engineer for Qantas and just wanted to say that I understand that lots of decisions recently have been controversial, but they've supported me and my colleagues too. Well, yeah, a lot of people coming in and commenting on everything like that. That's all we've got time for on the Hack podcast. We've got the shake up on tomorrow. I'll catch you later. Hack on Triple Jack.